0: This is Blooming Transformations with your host, Laura Kossoff. Welcome to Blooming Transformations. I'm Laura Kossoff, and I'm very pleased to have the chance to learn from today's guest. Banu Joy Harrison of Choosing Mindfulness is a UCLA-trained mindfulness facilitator offering classes and workshops on mindfulness, meditation, mindful living, and aging, working with chronic pain, and mindfulness and trauma. A licensed clinical social worker in private practice, she focuses on body-centered and mindful approaches. Her guided meditations can be found on Insight Timer. Welcome, Banu. Thanks. It's so great to be here, Laura. So to begin with, would you please define for us what mindfulness is? So I like to
1: use a definition that is very similar to Jon Kabat-Zinn's definition. He was the, one of the pioneers of secular mindfulness in the U.S. back in the '70s, and it's this: that mindfulness is paying attention on purpose to what's happening in this present moment with kindness, curiosity, and non-judgment. So it's really about what is happening right now. And I think one of the biggest misnomers about mindfulness meditation is I'm practicing mindfulness if my mind is blank and I'm blissed out and I'm just relaxed. And that's not what the definition is all about. It's paying attention to what's happening in this moment and bringing to that kindness, curiosity and non-judgment. So if I'm having an off day, if I'm a little irritable, if that's what's happening in my present moment,
0: and can I approach that with kindness, curiosity, openness? Beautiful. And what are some of the benefits of practicing mindfulness?
1: The research into mindfulness practices is just in its infancy. And there are so many different styles of meditation and so many different approaches that it's hard to get research that is consistent across all practices. But there have been some very strong findings showing improved sleep, improved relaxation, decrease of stress responses, decrease in blood pressure. Increase in attention and intuition, greater sense of aliveness in your life, appreciation of life. There's so many reasons
0: to practice mindfulness. There's a multitude of benefits for it. And mindfulness seems to regulate the nervous system. So how can we pay more attention to that? So our nervous system is, you know, despite what
1: the reductionistic view of the nervous system is, not just the brain and the spinal cords. Our whole body is constantly giving and receiving information and interacting with the environment. Like right now, I'm hearing you and seeing you as we're recording this. There is an interaction. We have an exchange of energy and information, and I have different neurons firing for vision and for my hearing and other senses. I think the doorway into our nervous system that can help with regulation and paying attention is through our sensory experience. Our bodies are always in present time. It's our mind and emotions that can time travel to the past or fast forward to the future. The body reacts to what our mind and emotions are doing as if it's happening right now. Many people, including myself, you know, we're trying to get to sleep at night. Finally, all the distraction is quieted down and then our minds start spinning and we're going over the day or we're thinking about what's happening tomorrow. And literally we can raise our blood pressure, increase our heartbeat just by thinking about a certain experience that's not even happening in real time. To be aware of what's happening in the present moment. At that time, I can say, "Whoa, I'm thinking about what I'm doing tomorrow." Okay, so it's nighttime. I want to sleep. Let me come back to the here and now, and let me feel the sensation and the softness of my sheets. Let me look around and notice that it's dark, and let me sense if there's any fragrance. Um, I live in a semi-rural area outside of Albuquerque, and so. Sometimes there's owls and things like that that are nice to hear. So bringing our attention back to the present moment can help us regulate, right? We'll be able to go to sleep much easier if I'm in the here and now and not in the past or the future. I think one of the challenges of mindfulness is that our mind is made to think, We have this gorgeous, big, beautiful brain that loves to think and create. And then we have all these emotions to add into the mix. We're a story-making species. We love our stories. So we can get very caught in all of that. The terminology is meta-awareness. For me to be aware of what I'm thinking, that's a metacognition or a broader, wider, kind of more overarching attention that then opens up the space for choice. Mm. The gift of mindfulness is that I can move from just reacting to things and move into responding.
0: So would you guide us through a simple example of this, maybe a short informal practice? There's kind of two types of mindfulness practices.
1: There's the more formal, where you sit And then there's informal, which are short little snippets of practice that you can kind of drop into different moments of your day. And so this is called the STOP practice, and it's an acronym. And the S stands for stop what you're doing. The T stands for take a breath. The O is observe something. The P is to go back and proceed with what you were doing before you started the practice. So right now, if I was to stop what I was doing and just take a deep breath and just observe, so I'm seeing your face, I can observe things in my environment. I also might notice that I can drink some tea after we're finished. My body might be achy or hungry. I can notice, oh, I'm feeling excited right now. So there's many different things I can notice and I can just pause. Okay. I'm excited about talking. I'll be ready to drink when we're finished and then we can proceed. So it's like this really nice
0: little pocket practice to drop into the present moment. And this is something that we can do on a daily basis, right? It doesn't require a meditation cushion or taking a lot of time to sit and meditate. So it's a very useful tool to be able to access at any time during the day.
1: Absolutely. And I find that, you know, for women in particular, many women are, their plates are very full between managing themselves, their career, children, family, households, garden, whatever it is. And it can feel like it's too much to have a sitting practice. Like I can't take a half an hour out mm-hmm. of the day to just sit and do nothing. And that's because we're really geared towards being human doings instead of human beings. Mm-hmm. And so a formal practice actually is great to improve attention and concentration. And we can intersperse our day at a stoplight with a stop practice on the train, waiting for your kids to come out of school. When I drive and I do the stop practice at a stoplight, one of the main things I notice is that I'm gripping the steering wheel. And it's like, I don't need to grip the steering wheel right now. I'm stopped. I soften my grip and I let my shoulders relax and I take
0: a few more breaths. And then the light is green
1: and I'm going to be a better driver.
0: It's like having a chance to reset, seeing where you are and having a choice to say, I'm going to relax and approach things in a lighter way. And in terms of our
1: nervous system, mindfulness can help interrupt the pedal to the metal approach that many people have Mm -hmm. got to keep going, 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 which puts us in our sympathetic fight flight mode, which our bodies are not designed to sustain that. It's supposed to be just short bursts to protect ourselves. But most people in the Western culture um, are on all the time. And there's a host of stress-related illnesses. We can do a mindfulness practice that can help bring us back in balance. Right. So I have another little informal practice I want to guide you through. Call this my speedometer practice. <laughs> so, if your body had a speedometer dial, your body mind, how fast would you be going right now?
0: I would say a six for me out of 10. Okay. So, like 60
1: miles an hour on a yeah. scale of 100. Okay. And does this
0: feel like the appropriate speed for you for this activity that we're doing right now? I think so. I feel like I'm moving forward not too fast, not too slow. Great. Great. So you're in your zone of optimal functioning.
1: So many people, when I share this exercise, they're going like, oh, I'm going 120 miles an hour. And the gift is, is that if we can encourage our body to remember what it feels like to exit the freeway, just even imagining exiting the freeway can actually shift how our nervous system is functioning in the moment. Conversely, if a person is like idling at eight miles an hour and they can imagine now I can accelerate a little bit and I can go a little faster. Our bodies actually give us so much information about our internal states. If we tune into it, we can really utilize our sensory experience for regulation. And this is how we can pay more attention to our nervous system. It's called interoception. It's our ability to have perception about the interior of our body. So I remember teaching a class and I was talking about interoception and I asked the class, how do you know when you're hungry? And so someone said, oh, my stomach starts growling. Another person saying, I get kind of hangry. I get irritated. And then there was one student that said, I have no idea when I'm hungry because I can't remember the last time that I was hungry because I graze all day long. I'm constantly eating little bits all day. Well, that would be a great experiment. Why
0: don't you wait to eat until you experience something that you can call hunger? I think that's such a great reminder to think about regulating how we check in with ourselves, understanding what we're experiencing, and then being able to make those decisions to shift and balance based on that.
1: Yes. And we can do this with emotions as well. Mm-hmm. So Right now, there's so much going on in our world and many people are experiencing anxiety. And so one of the questions I ask my clients is, how do you know you're anxious? What sensations are you experiencing that you're labeling anxious? And they'll stop and they'll think because everyone experiences anxiety differently. Mm -hmm. So someone might say, well, my heart rate goes up a little bit. Someone else is like, well, my throat gets dry. Someone else might say, oh, my gut starts to feel a little queasy. And then we can say, okay, so that's a sensation. So notice where the sensation is is in your chest or your belly or your throat and you're being curious and kind and nonjudgmental there's there's the sensation that you're labeling anxiety and now i'm curious to see if you can find another sensation in your body that feels less queasy or less tight or less speedy you know what's happening in your left foot right now what are you noticing in your legs and very often when people shift their attention away from the sensation that they labeled anxious Truly, there's so many other sensations that are happening at the same time that we can, with mindfulness,
0: we have choice over where to put our attention. So awareness is really the first step.
1: Yes. So it's not about denying the anxiety, but it's naming it, noticing and noticing sensation and being curious and kind, then noticing something else. When I look at our beautiful New Mexico sky, I just all of a sudden feel this expansion in my chest. And it's a great antidote for when I start feeling anxious. So we can begin to interrupt these patterns that are not you know, suited for our
0: wellness and well-being. Yeah, that's so helpful to understand the mechanics of it all. It really supports the capacity to then put it into practice. You did mention reasons why women may have challenges in taking that time for themselves for this kind of practice. So from your work, what other kinds of challenges do people, especially women, face in integrating mindfulness into their lives? And do you have any specific recommendations for overcoming these difficulties? So I think
1: in general, most people, but women too, you know, we're so hard on ourselves. We're trying to be everything to everybody And so I think one of the things that we do that I certainly have done that I'm working on is putting other people first. The little nugget is that nervous systems resonate with each other. So if I can take a few minutes to do the stop practice, to do the speedometer practice, to track some sensations, to notice my breath my nervous system gets more regulated and then my children my pets my partner actually will resonate with a nervous system that's more regulated yeah. so actually the tone in the household or with my coworkers or clients can improve
0: yeah i completely agree um, i remember in my coaching training learning that if a client has intense emotions the best thing we can do is to check in with ourselves, take some deep breaths and allow ourselves to be grounded and calm. And then we can respond and be available and present and hopefully helpful. Yes, I
1: look at it too, that the bigger my container is, in which our body is a container for our life energy. Mm-hmm. Right? Our mind, our spirit, our heart, our emotions, our physiology is all contained in this skin that was given to me at birth. Mm-hmm. The more regulated my body is, the larger container my body has, and the more of life I can hold more comfortably. Another informal practice of mindfulness can be really integrated into our daily life. There's lots of chores. There's so much that we need to do. I remember when we got a new uh, light fixture over my kitchen sink and it was much brighter. And I remember filling up the sink with dish soap to do dishes. It was like, oh my goodness, look at those bubbles. I see rainbow in the soap (laughs) bubble. And so I was washing the dishes and noticing the rainbow colors in the soap bubbles and feeling the warm water and the scrubby, you know, that has different textures. So I was mindfully washing the dishes. Mm -hmm. When my kids were little and I used to put them to bed, I would guide them in a little Take some deep breaths and feel your cozy, comfortable comforter over your body. You can like slow down. Mindfulness for children is a really
0: growing field because yeah. it has so many benefits to all humans. And I think that mindfulness has become much more mainstream in the last few decades. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned John Kabat Zinn. He's someone whose work I've admired for many years. And He's been so instrumental in bringing mindfulness into our mainstream awareness. I read somewhere that his mindfulness-based stress reduction program is used in over 700 hospitals, health centers, and organizations, including large corporations. And I know that he founded a mindfulness clinic and center at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center. So it's really exciting, all the progress that's being made. It's great. And you know, I teach
1: UCLA's six-week program, which is very similar to the MBSR program. And it's such a wonderful toolbox of skills for people. And the hospital system in California, Kaiser Permanente is having mindfulness. I'm actually, I just started in the last month um, teaching mindfulness classes once a week to my mom's assisted living. She's wow. nine, she's 99 and just had to go in the last couple of months. She had a really catastrophic fall mm-hmm. and couldn't live on her own anymore at 99. And so I'm teaching them like how to be with a roommate now when you're in your elder mm-hmm. years, how mm-hmm. to mindfully how to work with pain in a mindful way, Mm -hmm. how to be kind to yourself. And they are so receptive. (laughs) Wonderful. Fantastic. Mindfulness is coming into schools. It's such an exciting field right now. It's really wonderful. If you do want to do a more formal sitting practice, some of the key points would be to sit in a comfortable way, either on a chair or cushion with your hips a little higher. If you're on the floor, You can choose anything as an anchor, but it's got to be something that has sensation. So the most common anchor that's used is focusing on the breath. And for some people, the breath is maybe not the best anchor. So you can focus on another sensation, like the support of your back up against the chair, or maybe the sensation of your feet on the floor. And what you do is you notice the sensations of the breath or your anchor, where you feel it the strongest. If you're working with the breath, some people feel it in the nostrils, the strongest, some people in the chest, and some people in the belly. And so you notice the sensations of the inhale and the exhale. And when your mind wanders, which it invariably will, You notice that, that, oh, my mind wandered and I'm going to bring it back to the focus of my anchor. And you do this again and again and again. And this is a highly successful meditation practice. You can do it for five minutes in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. We can all squirrel five minutes. What they're finding in some of the uh, functional MRI scanners is that the brain actually grows extra mass mm-hmm. when you do like 15 minutes a day over a six-week period, you will have a bigger brain. Mm. And so for elders, you know, our brain tends to shrink as we age. I want a nice plump brain <laughs> in elder years. And so I'm practicing mindfulness because they they notice that regular meditators, their brain is actually about 10 years younger than their mm. chronological age.
0: Wow. Yeah, they
1: have more connections, Yeah, the is just healthier and, and richer and,
0: you know, more dynamic. I hope that people will keep in mind that the goal of meditation or mindfulness is not to empty our thoughts or be empty of thoughts, but just to slow them down so that if we have that monkey mind, that we can just bring it back to a quieter, softer place. Yes, our mind loves to think. Dan Siegel, who's a professor at UCLA, he
1: talks about use your mind to change your brain to change your mind. So we use our mind saying, I'm going to focus my attention on this mindfulness. And that changes the neuroplasticity of the brain. Actually, literally the structure of the brain changes
0: over time, which then we have new pathways where we can respond differently. Just amazing. So do you have any final thoughts or nuggets of wisdom that you want to share? I would just say, be curious. You, There's
1: so much more richness in life that you can experience by being mindful. And there's now so many supports. There's so many apps. Um, there's UCLA Mindful. There's Insight Timer. If you liked some of the suggestions I had, I have many meditations on there. There's many, many ways that you can get support for a practice because it's hard to start off on your own. You're not sure if you're doing it right. And the apps and guided practices can really be helpful. And just be kind with yourself, pace yourself. Don't do tons right
0: away. Just gradually build up your capacity. And to honor the idea of beginner's mind, that you're just starting, it's all new. And just to honor that process and experience. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, you can find out more about Banu's work, including her current and upcoming workshops on her website, choosingmindfulness.net. Her guided meditations can be found on Insight Timer at insighttimer.com forward slash choosing mindfulness. I will include these links on the podcast page on Buzzsprout and on my website where the podcasts are listed. Bonnie, thank you very much for being here today and sharing all of your expertise. It's been extremely enlightening to learn from you and gain a deeper understanding of the benefits of mindfulness and the simple ways that we can incorporate these practices into our lives. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Laura. It's been great to talk with you. Thank you very much for listening. This is Laura Kassoff. To learn more about my work, please visit my website, bloominglifepossibilities.com.